0: Welcome everyone, Saturday, June 27th here in Canada, it's apparently after midnight in India, and different times in different time zones. So we gather here from around the world, some of us are here now, some of us are also here now but it's a different now, it's a later now after this was already recorded, here to find now. So this is a Q&A session but it's also meant to be a meditation session so we close our eyes, focus our attention on our experience, and try to cultivate a capacity to uh, observe and appreciate and understand reality, understand our experiences. See them clearly. Become more familiar with them. More familiar with our habits, good and bad. More familiar with our emotions. More familiar with the things that we cling to as good or bad. If you have a question about meditation, First thing you should ask yourself is whether you've read our booklet on how to meditate. Not to push it on you, but if you haven't, you might not understand the answers, and you might be asking questions that could easily be answered, or maybe even be out of context if you'd read the booklet. As we talk about meditation, we are talking about a specific tradition in meditation, Buddhist Meditation. If you have questions that aren't about meditation, well, you can ask them anyway, but the chances of us, of me answering them, or Shraddha, who is my assistant here today, and asking them gets lower the further they go from the meditation practice. Once you've asked your question, or if you don't have any questions, just close your eyes and meditate with us.
1: The first question is—it's oh, it. not the first one. Oh, are you ready to I'm, answer questions? I'm—I'm I'm
0: ready. Are you ready to ask them?
1: Yes. Um, the first one wasn't the first question, but it's related. Probably the first one that needs an answer. What do I note and pay attention to during this meditation session?
0: Well, Like anything else, like any other moment in time you would note all of those things that you would note otherwise. The, the, the obvious difference is the sound. You, know, you don't have to be seeing anything because you can have and should for best results have your eyes closed. But the hearing the sound of my voice you can say hearing, hearing. But apart from that there's so much else going on that Really, it should be quite obvious. There's lots of things you could be noting. Of course, that's a part of the practice. As you practice, you start to recognize and become aware of more things that you didn't realize, you didn't pay attention to before. So you're more alert and aware of the shifting of emotions, the shifting of physical sensations, the shifting of feelings, the shifting of thoughts all of which you can note. If there's nothing else, just go back to the stomach and focus on the stomach rising and falling. It goes without saying, if this question was asked by someone who hadn't read the booklet, well, read the booklet, it might help.
1: While noting rising and falling, can we ignore other objects if they're not distractions?
0: You can, but it's not wise. And you shouldn't. Because to say they're not distractions is misleading. They've already distracted you. They've already taken your attention once if you if you if they have arisen it means you've experienced them. And if you've experienced them you should note them. There's nothing special about the rising and falling. It is kind of special, but you shouldn't look at it as special in terms of preferring it. Like, oh, I've got to stop noting all these other things because I'm no longer noting the rising and falling at all. A good rule of thumb is to note anything. And once it is gone, don't go looking for something else or move on to the next thing. Go back, try to, unless there's something really pressing. Try to go back to the rising and falling until the next thing comes.
1: When we meditate, where our tongue position should be?
0: There's no special position that the tongue should be in. In fact, if you put it in a special position, you should probably stop. Where is your tongue when you don't think about where your tongue is? That's where your tongue should be.
1: I really struggle with my mind. It's loud and arrogant. It never shuts off. I guess the question is, any help?
0: Well, the person who asks this, it's actually in, encouraging because it means they're seeing that about themselves. For someone to actually say that is generally a sign that they are gaining an in insight and gaining in, a, in a, 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 a appreciation of the way the mind works, appreciation of the stress caused by the mind. Of course, There's 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 a sense of aversion here that I I can't say it's there, but probably this person has a sort of aversion to this state, and that's something you should be mindful of as well. And you dislike the state, say disliking, disliking.
1: able to sit cross-legged on the floor due to hip problems what is the best posture for lengthy meditation session
0: so an interesting thing is i get this sort of seem to get this this question from time to time or this this claim from time to time and i don't mean to be um uh, don't mean to attack you or anything but uh, I, I do I do want to gently suggest that it might not be true that you're unable to sit cross-legged. So I don't know what your hip problems are, and and sometimes truly they do stop people from sitting on the floor, but I have had people who claim these sorts of problems for, for good reason. I'm not saying they're lying or that they're deluded or anything, but you might be surprised that you can sometimes, at least for a short time, sit on the floor, and that through practice some good things happen to your body. Now that's not, you know, true for everyone. If someone has had a hip replacement, for example, I can imagine it being really problematic for some people to sit on, cross-legged on the floor. So I just want to point that out, that in some cases, again, I can't give advice because I don't know your situation and I'm not a doctor and so on. But in some cases, it's not as true as we think. And you surprise yourself when you try, when you focus on the pain. Like sometimes Sometimes this, this statement means it's just so much pain and it's just too much and I'm going to injure myself and then when you do it and learn how to be mindful of the pain it surprises you that, oh, the pain isn't so bad and actually the pain starts to go away and actually it, my body improves as a result of me no longer being afraid of the pain and so on. So just point that out. Not I don't know your situation and I'm not trying to contest that. If you can't, like really can't sit on the floor And and I point that out because sitting on the floor can be quite beneficial It's a good sort of moderate position But if you really can't, then absolutely sitting in a chair is fine Even lying down is fine for people who can't even sit up Don't worry too much about lengthy meditation sessions I'm not sure if you can walk but if you can walk, try and do some walking and some sitting and try and do several sessions throughout the day. So if you're only able to sit for a short time, then we'll do some short sits as well. You might find that the time improves depending on your situation.
1: There's another question about sitting. Um, what is the difference in meditation quality when sitting on a Zafu on a Zambutan and sitting on the edge of a chair with 90 degrees angle between cuff and thigh. The potential for clarity feels the same.
0: I would try sitting cross-legged. <laughs> sitting, oh, Zaifu is that, is that uh, that's cross-legged, isn't it? I'm sorry, I'm confusing. I think they're talking about sitting cross-legged. Uh, I would, you know, try not to, to use any of them if possible. Try and sit on a mat. Maybe a little bit of, if you need to, you can raise your butt a little bit. Ultimately, yeah, the body posture is irrelevant. It's just that we have a lot of sankara, a lot of um, well, habits or... or associations between our posture and our state of mind, so when we're standing up and walking we're more alert, when we're sitting and lying down we're more focused and but but that's only, that's not really it doesn't really have to be that way especially in regards to the mind you can do lying meditation and be quite clear if you're very mindful so all the questions about sitting I wouldn't worry too much if you can't sit cross-legged it's not it's not a huge deal but generally and practically, for a lot of people, it's it, it will make a difference.
1: And watching rising and falling, do you focus on a single point or the whole abdomen?
0: You don't really choose. Sometimes it might be more pointed, sometimes it might be more general, but if you're choosing, you're doing a little too much forcing and controlling. And that that doesn't just go with the rising and falling, it goes with any object. You put your mind there, and when you notice that it's rising, and that might be just a point, it might be the whole abdomen, you say to yourself, rising, that's it. Because you, you're allowing for um, impermanence, for uncertainty an important part of the practice, because so that creates flexibility and wears away our, our attachment to expectations and clinging to stability and so on.
1: I don't know how to name my feelings or sensations how should I put how should I name what I'm experiencing when I can't put a word on it
0: feeling let's just say feeling Feeling. there's another one we use that's, that's not quite immediately obvious what it means is knowing knowing is just it's a bit awkward but it's the best word I think in English for an awareness so sometimes you're like, oh, and you notice something. That noticing can be the object of awareness, and so you'd say to yourself, knowing, knowing. So knowing and feeling are two fairly good catch-alls for those sorts of things that, that don't have any particular word associated with them, but you do want to use have some word to remind yourself, hey, it's just that.
1: What is the difference between noting and being aware?
0: There's a big difference. Noting is an active act that you perform. Awareness is a quality of the mind that's out there in in everything. We're always aware. You could say maybe when we're asleep, we're not aware. But even when we're dreaming, there's awareness. Noting is is an activity. It's maybe what we would call meditation. When you note, in, in other words, when you repeat a mantra to yourself, you're practicing meditation and it's what it's what conditions your awareness any kind of meditation, mantra will condition your awareness depending on the type of mantra and more especially depending on the, the object of the mantra so our objects are reality and so when we note pain, pain, it, it conditions our awareness of the pain so that there's no liking or disliking and so on no identification
1: it better to have small sessions 10 to 30 minutes with more glimpses of proper meditative concentration absorption than a longer session one hour with less glimpses
0: so I'm not sure you're. Cl- you're we're on the same page as far as what meditation is and, and what the goals of meditation are but proper meditative concentration is not a thing that we're looking for or talking about proper meditative concentration is a moment. So maybe that's what you're saying, but I don't. it doesn't sound like it. Proper meditative concentration, proper absorption is the absorption in a moment. And that, of course, doesn't depend at all on how long your session is. So I would say a, a, a practically, and this is important advice, I think, a, a happy medium where you're not doing sessions that are too short and doing lots of them, but on the other hand, you're not doing too few sessions that are longer. Just because they're longer doesn't mean it's better. The point being, if you do one long session every day, then, well, there's there's 23 hours or so where you're not mindful, where you're, where you're not meditating, and you're, you're relying on ordinary mindfulness throughout the day. Whereas, on the other hand, if you do several 30-minute meditations you know or let's say for a serious meditator several 1-hour sessions versus one 2-hour session let's say better to do better to do some happy medium you know not doing half-hour sessions but not doing 2-hour sessions maybe if that's your medium find 1-hour sessions but do several of them during the day two of them let's say two 1-hour sessions i'd say for a lot of people is really good course some people do more and some people can't do that much but that's a pretty good, for I think for a lot of people that would be a good happy medium but then it's not just to, to reiterate, it's not about how long the session is or how deep you go, it's about how many moments of mindfulness you have because it's those moments that are going to come together and create true meditative concentration, it has nothing to do with that one session, it has everything to do with your whole day with with your normal what is normal for you what is your habit and that's all day that's 24 hours in 24 hours how many moments do you have that's a much better gauge of your your true state of meditation
1: Is it possible to practice while receiving concepts like listening to a Dhamma talk or studying? What should be the object of attention?
0: Well, for, for example, listening to the Dhamma talk, you're going to receive the concepts anyway. You don't have to pay attention to receive some of the teachings. So it's actually not problematic to just focus on the sound and say hearing, hearing. You can still gain some of the, the lessons. It'll be intermittent but if you put your focus on being mindful, then you'll find that more importantly, your state of mind is clear, and you're much better able to receive the teachings when, when they do filter through. You just say hearing, hearing. And note everything else, of course, pain. Sometimes when you're sitting listening to a dhamma talk, it's quite painful because you have to sit on the floor, or you have to sit still and be quiet, and you can't boring sometimes or the mind starts to complain even though you're you're enjoying it your mind kind of starts to complain because it's used to being pleased
1: Should your shoulders, arms and hands fall into place or should they be strategically placed for optimal meditation?
0: I don't think it's a question of of leading to optimum meditation but following the tradition, we sit cross-legged. You can sit in full or half lotus but we tend to recommend people to sit with one leg in front of the other without the heel underneath the leg, just the front heel touching the back shin and one hand on top of the other and not worry about your shoulders or arms but with your hands placed flat on your lap palms up, one on top of the other It's good to follow tradition and I think it's more about that than it is about actually promoting optimal meditation When you do the way things the way other people do them you're less likely to get caught up in your own ego in your own partiality, your own bias, Westerners often have a hard time falling into Buddhist cultures, and often it's just because of ego. We let our ego take charge, and we hide it behind a observation of the silliness of culture, because culture is pretty pretty useless. You know, there's not there's not a lot of good in it. It can be very useful for for holding together religion, but culture is not intrinsically important, and that's that's a problem itself, but you know, following after culture just because it's the culture can be quite useful, helps you give up your ego.
1: Going back to some questions that I skipped earlier. Mm-hmm. and meditation help with a lack of sleep?
0: Yes, for sure. Well, first of all, seeing it as a lack of sleep is problematic. It's a big pr- part of the problem of insomnia. A, a big part, maybe the biggest part of insomnia, of the problem of insomnia is seeing it as a problem, right? as with everything, really. Like I've talked about this before. It's not the problem isn't the problems the problems is that you the problem is that you think they're problems, and that nowhere is that clearer than with insomnia now lack of sleep is problematic some some if your mind is active and stressed, you need some sleep but seeing it as a problem makes it so much worse, probably is worse than the actual lack of sleep because that's where the real stress and anxiety and and just overall uh Terror of of not being able to get to sleep comes from depression and so on. So mindfulness helps you change that and helps you be okay with whatever, including a lack of sleep. So if you're mindful, awake, mindfully awake all night, you you, you aren't stressed about that fact. As a result, you can wake up at least somewhat refreshed. You may be tired. You may be drowsy but you're not stressed and that lack of stress may, gives you so much more energy actually really makes it makes you healthier as well so see that as a as an issue as well as a, as a part of the issue now th- through prolonged meditation practice especially since you're no longer seeing it as a problem you're much likelier to much more likely to get a a, a good night's sleep because, of course, the stress is a huge part of what keeps you awake. The the fear of not getting to sleep is a huge part of what keeps you from sleeping.
1: Is it normal to feel a certain headache, like an electric tingling sensation? in the temples while meditating. It arises especially just when I feel more mindful and kind of distracts me.
0: We're not in the business of telling people what is normal and not normal. Again, this question comes a lot and I think that's the response. is We're just not in the business of, of, of th- th- pointing out what is normal and what is not normal. There's no benefit to it. So let's look more at the experience and how you react to it. If there is a certain headache, well that's, we deny, you would say pain, pain. If there's a tingling sensation, well that's feeling, you would say feeling, feeling. Or even tingling would be fine. It arising, especially when you feel more mindful, is probably associated with clinging to a certain state. You feeling more mindful is probably an illusion. It's probably just a pleasant sensation calm or peace or so on and you should note that you should also note any liking of it distracting you is probably being worried about it or or averse to it so you should note that as well disliking or uh, frustrated or it can be worried afraid of it maybe uh, but and well that's it no note it when it arises also note your reactions to it and your reactions to the things that you'd rather be uh, experiencing.
1: Oh, but they, this one I'm putting up just because I think they may not have read the booklet. So I just mm-hmm. have the booklet here. Questions Yeah, none of that
0: is what we do, so. There are answers to it. I'm just not the one to give them. If you're interested in our meditation tradition, Shraddha has kindly put up the link to our booklet. You can download it for free. You can order it for free. Even we'll send it to you. Apparently, we—I mean, not we used to. I'm not sure if we still do, but I think we do. Send it to you for free. You can't get a better deal than that. All postage paid. I think. sounds like a cult sort of like a religious cult like why these guys are obsessed with their teaching that's why they're sending it to us not really we're obsessed with goodness we believe this is good we're not trying to make you buddhists we're not uh trying to spread the good word or something like that we're not proselytizing we're doing good we believe people should do good we believe meditation is good we don't you don't have to be buddhist you don't have to become my student but here's something that we think is good. It's not actually my teachings. I've just put it in words that in many ways are just a translation from the language and the words that I was that it was given to me in. And rather than have to repeat them to everyone I meet, I just put it in a booklet and read the booklet. And if you're still interested after that, then come and talk. It saves me some effort and That way I can reach more people and get right to what's important and answering questions which uh, are, are of course, individual and and require a more personal touch.
1: I have too many questions that arise from meditation. Do I continue to meditate or seek answers? Because answers seem to open new doors to other things. Or should I become a monk?
0: That is some questions. If you have lots of questions that arise from meditation, it may be that the answer is a little bit of refinement of meditation. Because honestly over time your your meditation will decrease the number of questions you have should decrease the number of questions you have it may not answer them all but because a lot of them are ultimately irrelevant questions you will discard them i mean many of them will be answered but you'll abandon many of them as well as as not being as being not as important as you thought they were So yeah, I would start to try and be mindful of doubting and worrying and thinking, analyzing all of that. I mean, certainly there are many questions. that's the reason for this program—many questions that ha- should should get an answer. But if you're you're personally getting more and more questions, it might be a sign of a need to pay some attention to that.
1: How do I gaze my progress in my meditation
0: practice? Well, to, to some extent don't because it's not a good way to you know, you're not practicing when you do that so just be careful not to become obsessed with progress which is I think often the case it's often a problem where gauging our progress becomes more important than actually gaining progress or progressing. The But the all, I think the best answer is the simple answer. You have less greed, less anger, and less delusion, which is hard to gauge, really. First of all, it's hard for a person to gauge their own progress, but second of all, it's hard to gauge because it's not consistent. It's not like we always have the same, every moment have the same level of greed, anger, and delusion. They can't even arise at the same... Greed and anger can't arise at the same time. And not only that, but sometimes we're not greedy or angry. Does that mean we have none? Of course not. So it's hard to gauge. And so the best is to just do the work. Do the work. Be, be uh, conscientious or thoughtful about how you're practicing and the quality of your practice. Reflect on that more than the results that you've gained from the practice. Reflect on the quality. And that's, of course, something that you won't even know in the beginning. But as you practice, you'll have a better sense of what is quality moments, what moments of quality meditation are. And you'll have a very good sense, the further you go, of how far you are from that and and when you're far from that and when you're close to that and once you once you, you you become more proficient at a quality meditation you won't have to worry about progress because you'll have seen how it works how the progress works and more importantly because you you know the quality of it you know the quality of the moment and if something if a, and you you know through observation that a quality moment can only lead to quality results question people often ask in response to that is, well, how, what, what does it mean to have a quality moment? I think Shraddha asked this. Uh, I can't really tell you that, you know. Mindful, I mean, obviously there are descriptions, but they don't really adequately, adequately describe it. You really have to experience it. And I think we do fairly quickly. I don't think it's a myster- mystery. It's just, you'll have to see for yourself what is a moment when you're, and you'll have to start to know for yourself, oh yeah, this is a really quality moment. Of course, you won't think that, but you'll be too busy having a quality moment.
1: Can you speak to the importance of practicing renunciation as it pertains to practicing meditation?
0: renunciation this is a fairly unique question i don't know if i've ever gotten this one renunciation is at least on two levels there's a sort of a, a worldly sense and then there's the spiritual sense so worldly renunci- worldly sense of renunciation is renouncing possessions renouncing social status uh re- renouncing livelihood renouncing relationships and engagements and entanglements and so on renouncing society, renouncing a lot of worldly things and that's, that's important. It's not something you need to do to an extreme degree to start with you know, just because you become a monk doesn't mean your meditation will be easy it's not really proper order necessarily it's not really the proper order generally uh, but to some extent you'll have to renounce certain things you'll have to renounce evil killing, stealing, lying, cheating, all that Your best to renounce a lot of obsession and, and ambition in the world because of course that's going to interfere with your practice but another aspect of that is is you naturally renounce a lot of things you start to become less interested in the things the worldly things that you used to get interested in so it's not even so much that you have to renounce them first it's that it's just a part of the progress over time you'll renounce more and more the other kind of renunciation is actually the meditation itself because of course as you meditate you start to renounce old habits bad habits You start to renounce uh, unwholesome mind states. You start to renounce those things, those, those experiences that you used to cling to. Experiences of pleasure, experiences of calm, experiences of seeing and hearing and smelling and tasting and feeling and thinking. You start to renounce them as well. So, good question. That's, I think, an important one. important i mean it's not just me the buddha the buddha was often talking about the person who asked this is probably knowledgeable about buddhism because this is a this is something the buddha talked about quite a lot nekam it's one of the 10 perfections it's it's a huge part of the practice
1: I feel confused about trying to let go of our desires. What if we no longer have any desires? What do we do with our lives? How, how do we move forward? Do you have desires? Helping others, maybe?
0: Hmm. Well, not confused. That's what I would start with. Because confusion prevents you from seeing clearly about things. Not I'm not trying to be smart or anything, I mean, it is, it, but it is important, it is true, that if you, it's hard to, part of the re- reason why you're confused is the confusion. Confusion prevents you from seeing clearly. So try and note confused, confused, doubting and so on, worried perhaps even. And rather than thinking about when you no longer have desires, just try and learn about your desires, the objects of your desire, your aversion, the objects of your aversion, and let go of that idea of the theoretical what would I do when, and look at what you're doing now and what it's doing to you. Because you'll start to see that desires are cause for stress and suffering and don't actually help you. And then it doesn't matter what happens when you're without them, because you're like, well, what, do I think it's better to have these things that cause me stress and suffering? Absolutely not. And you won't have to worry about such things. If, on the other hand, you worry about it, and you'll never get, you'll never get anywhere. You'll never find the truth of it. Worry, doubt, confusion—they don't help you find the truth about a question or a problem.
1: Is Visuddhi Maga the best book on meditation for someone who wants to have a deep understanding of its application?
0: Maybe. That might be a good way of describing it. I'm hesitant to suggest anyone read a book for... Besides my book. No, I mean, my book is a booklet. It's meant to give you instruction on how to practice. Visuddhi Magga has a lot in it. It's much better used as a reference probably best used as a reference for an advanced meditator, for a teacher in meditation, for a monk, because a lot of it's particular to monastics, that sort of thing. So I'm hesitant to suggest that, yeah, you want a deep understanding of the application of meditation, read a book. Clearly no, right? Guess what you should do if you want a deep understanding of the application of meditation Take a guess.
1: This question I'm not sure about, but I'll ask, how to make noting non-verbal and focus more on the object?
0: You don't have to make noting non-verbal. It's meant to be a thought. I mean, nonverbal, don't speak it out loud, that's one way, don't do that. But um, if there's a, a thought in the mind, like seeing, seeing, that's fine, that's what it's meant to be. It's meant to be a, an action, a reminder to you. That thought is going to straighten the mind out. So no, this isn't me, this isn't mine, this isn't good, this isn't bad, it's just seeing, it's just pain, it's just thinking. you don't have to focus more on the object that's a bit misleading I I don't I may be misleading saying that as well but the point is not to focus more on an object the point is to see the object just as it is without going any deeper than that or being more shallow than that just is what it is just just what it is when you experience something that experience has already happened how are you gonna respond to that that's our concern so when you see something, you don't have to see it deeper or anything or see it more. You just have to remind yourself that that's seeing. That's, that's the practice. That straightens the mind out in regards to it.
1: I'm retired and wish to follow a monastic lifestyle. Are there benefits to this method of living?
0: There are, of course. It's not to say that if you did it, all your problems would be solved, of course. I don't suppose you think that or anyone thinks that, but I'm just more to say that it may not be the proper course. For some people it may not work. For some people it may actually be harmful to their practice. It's not that good of a thing. It's a great thing. It's It's a very powerful thing. It's just that that's conceptually, in reality, and practically, I can't say what's going to happen. Especially, we're talking 2,600 years later. Do you really know what it's going to be like living in this monastery or that monastery? So far removed from the Buddha. So, so much, much better to focus on the meditation practice and become uh, become ordained as a as a par as a sort of part of the course, a natural outcome of the practice. Like you're wandering along and you just get in a car. Not wandering along, you're traveling along. You're going down the road and someone picks you up as a hitchhiker and you just get in the car. And just keep going and you feel lucky that you got a ride.
1: When I'm out with other people, that is when not meditating, my mind makes me feel inferior compared to them. And then I tend to people please. How should I deal with this?
0: Well, just note those feelings. You feel imperi- inferior. That's a feeling. I get it, though. You know, it's noticing it is an important thing, and it's hard. I mean, that's not something it's easy to be mindful of because it's based on delusion, and delusion is the opposite of being mindful. So, it's very hard to be mindful. You can't really directly be mindful of it because it's an unmindful state. But you can note all those feelings once you're aware of them. Feeling of self-hatred, worry, there's a lot of worry probably, fear, uh, desire to please, craving for uh, appreciation, craving for acceptance and so on. Focus on all that. Oh, you'll become so powerful if you can focus on that. You'll become like a, you'll become a a god among men, so to speak. Not exactly, but, you know, it's just so powerful and, and you feel like, totally invincible when you give all that up we should really start to look at things in terms of i almost want to say our benefit it kind of is you know the buddha talked like that he said when you know that something's to your benefit do that because you don't you don't benefit yourself at the at the detriment to other people it just doesn't happen that way so there's no harm in it there's no selfishness in it there's a greatness in it. But when you look at that and you stop worrying about what makes other people happy, and when you stop thinking in terms of how you look, and stop trying to find you know, acceptance in others and uh, appreciation from others, so powerful. You're invincible. doesn't matter whether you're inferior it really doesn't doesn't matter whether you're inferior or superior it doesn't actually help you doesn't actually do anything good doesn't really help to try and please people doesn't help them nope see that more clearly and there's power there
1: Should I keep body tense during both sitting and walking meditation in order to keep posture straight, or should I relax?
0: Shouldn't do either. It's misleading. It's misleading. Um, It's it's misleading. I want to impress that upon you because when we're tense, we think we're doing that. Our relaxation, we think it's us relaxing, and it's not actually true. Sometimes you'll be relaxed, sometimes you'll be tense. That will happen to you, which isn't quite accurate as well. It's just happening. But it's more accurate to say it will happen to you. Most accurate, let's just say it happens. So when there's tension, say tense, tense. When you're relaxed as well, say relaxed, relaxed. Don't try and prefer, don't prefer, catch yourself if you do prefer one or the other. And note that as well, liking and disliking. Sorry, that might be an unsatisfying answer, but you have to figure that out.
1: Is remembering a good noting term to use when memories come up during meditation, as opposed to only using thinking?
0: It's not a big deal. Yes, you can use remembering, that's a good way of pinpointing it, but it, it can also be a little bit misleading because there's no difference between remembering and thinking. Remembering isn't in the past. Remembering is still thinking in the present moment, right? That's the experience. So I'm not saying it's not a good idea. It just doesn't seem to be that important. It doesn't seem like you get that much benefit from saying remembering.
1: When mindfulness gets so strong that I can note several objects per second, should I do so or should I note only one per second?
0: One per second is a good sort of guide. It's not about noting everything, it's about being present. And the noting helps straighten out the mind so you can be present and objective. But it doesn't really work if you're just madly trying to note everything.
1: becoming more angry and cold-hearted with the practice of vipassana. Is this a common or expected result from the practice?
0: doesn't matter. Um, sorry, I, it's hard. I, answering that question doesn't really do any good. That's why I, I, I don't answer that way, I think. Is it common or expected? Let's focus more on, on the experience. Well, you could ask, "Why does it happen?" This would be a better way of phrasing it. Why does this happen? How could this How could this happen? Aren't I supposed to become more pliant and and maybe uh, well, at least not cold-hearted? So why does it happen? Um, so meditation takes you away from your your objects of desire quite often, and that can make you a very sort of bitter person in the beginning. But meaning it, it, it evokes those states in you because you're not getting what you want. And so you can be quite hurt, you can be hurting a lot as a result of the practice. That's to be expected because of, of what it does to take you away from the objects of your desire. But that's only a product of desiring things. It's like a drug addict who has an addiction. Suppose there was a drug addict who had an addiction and they went on a program of, of into- detoxica- de- detoxification. What is it? Detox? Detox. Detox, anyway. And would anyone say to them, oh, you're hurting yourself. Go back on the drugs. Of course not. Yes, you're hurting yourself quite often in meditation. Not... Not as a result of the meditation, but as a result of the drugs, the craving. Craving is just drugs. It, it's, it's mind candy, and there's, there's the chemicals, dopamine and oxy, oxy, what's it? I'm say oxytocin. I hope I've got that right. Um, anyway, the mind chemicals that we crave that give us pleasant feelings. And a withdrawal from those is, is a bitter experience. That's not that's not a long-term result. That's just withdrawal. And it's easily countered in meditation by focusing on those things as the object of experience. When you're angry, focus on the anger. Angry, angry. Imagine a drug addict going through withdrawal. Do you think they wouldn't be angry, even cold-hearted? Oh, they can be very bitter very stressed very unpleasant to be around that's why they go to these detox centers where people are trained to deal with angry bitter cold-hearted people cuz we we empathize we sympathize and we we appreciate we respect the work that they're doing i respect very much the work you're doing and so if you get angry at me as your student as my as your teacher you get angry at me i'm okay with that i won't hold it against you You're going to be angry. It won't last. You start to note angry, angry. Oh, there's such a power. You really do a detox. You free yourself from all that entanglement and
1: addiction. There was someone else who was having similar experiences. And I think I just mm-hmm. moved this question up because you already answered. Mm-hmm. Like your answer would help. So they they're saying, I think I'm not doing yeah. well with this method. I'm stressed and angry at work. I note it, but I still get overwhelmed. Any advice?
0: So I might just add there to say to yourself, overwhelmed, overwhelmed, when that happens. But of course, note stressed, and stressed, angry, angry. Again, I think the withdrawal comparison holds. It's most likely. You're. I mean, imagine going through withdrawal when you also have to go to work. I just most most likely. I can't tell what your situation is, what your work is, how how strong the stress and anger is, but mostly I would bear with it. It's okay, even if it makes you work not at a hundred percent in the beginning. Maybe it gets you in a bit of trouble at work if it's not overwhelming. You say you're overwhelmed, but I mean, what I mean is if it's not to the point where you're going to get fired, uh, I would persist. And it will get better. It absolutely will. In fact, it already is. You're already coming to terms with what it means to be addicted to things. That's getting stressed and angry. That's a great thing to learn. Meditation doesn't make you stressed or angry. I mean, doing it wrong can, so you do have to be Conscientious of the of whether you are actually following the teachings, read the booklet again, maybe make sure you're doing it properly, but don't expect the anger and stress to just go away. That's part of the withdrawal. The mind is like a baby cow this is how the this is how the texts describe it. You want to train a baby cow a baby ox, so in Asia they have oxen and they train them to pull the to pull the, the the what those the plows, and now I I don't particularly agree with the enslavement of animals or the enslavement of anything, but the mind is a little bit different, and so if we're talking about the mind, it's not unethical. So if you want to train the cow, the the ox, the baby one, you you can't just get it to to pull the to pull the the plow. You first have to train it. And if, and if you leave it with its mother, you also can't train it because it's going to always be going back to the mother. And they say the mind is the same. If you want to train the mind, you have to take it away from the mother, which is the sense desires. Tie it to a post, which is the meditation practice, and let it run free. And this is the clever thing about a post, and, and not, not tie it up to the post but tie it on a rope to the post and then you let it go because there's a rope around its neck or in its nose or whatever and so the, the simile is it's a fairly cruel thing to do I think for an animal but for the mind it's well it can also be quite cruel But but it's not unethical it's actually quite useful because the mind in the beginning will scream out like a baby cow crying for its mother's milk the difference, of course, is that addictions are not mother's milk. They're more like heroin. It's like tying up a, a meth addict or a heroin addict. And they're crying out for their heroin. That's It's more like that. But eventually, the baby cow or the heroin addict who's tied up will calm down. And the mind is the same. After some time, the, the training of the mind will begin.
1: Is it acceptable to note other objects beside the movements of the feet during walking meditation without stopping?
0: No, it's not. It's not encouraged. You're encouraged to stop walking before you note anything.
1: When we note rising, falling, we focus on the abdomen. But when we note anger, anxiety. Should we focus on the place where we are feeling the anger, anxiety? Example, chest, head, etc.
0: So that's not quite accurate. You don't actually feel the anger or the anxiety in any spot of the body. But those spots that you're feeling are results of anger and anxiety and you should be able to separate them. If you feel a heat or a tension or or energy in some part of the body, you should note it as such, feeling or Tense or hot or so on. Uh, Noting anger is actually just a a mental thing. It doesn't have a position. It doesn't have a location. mind doesn't take up space. So be able to separate those. When you're anxious, that's anxiety. But when you feel tense in the body, it's very important for an anxious person to be able to separate the two. It's very useful in helping to deconstruct anxiety and panic and so on.
1: Break the fourth precept, harsh speech, very often. What can I do to refrain from the temptation of verbally fighting someone?
0: So two things. Harsh speech isn't breaking the fourth precept. It is wrong speech, but it's only something that an anagami can be free from. So don't don't beat yourself too harshly up about that. Lying is breaking the fourth precept. But more importantly, yes, practice meditation. Read our booklet if you haven't you can take an at-home meditation course. As we wrap up here today, I'd recommend if anyone's interested, I know we're getting filled up. A lot of the slots are already full. It's great to see so many people. I think it was 45. Now, not everyone is, sometimes people sign up and then I have to click delete it because they don't show up, but it's four, 45 people signed up is, per week is a lot of people. But there are still some free slots. If you want to sign up for an at-home meditation course, totally, I encourage you to do that. It's a great way to learn about this tradition of meditation. Uh, that's maybe yeah, tooting, tooting my own horn, maybe a little bit. No, it's not. No, I, I just mean the format. You can decide for yourself whether I'm a useful person to come to for guidance. That's not important. But I just mean to say the format's quite useful and it seems to be beneficial to people. And it it, it facilitates um, giving a greater depth of Advice and and instruction. So, as a format, I definitely recommend considering to try the at-home meditation course. Oh, and I didn't talk about it, did I? I forgot. Well, let's stop then. That's it for today, because I have something to say that I was supposed to say. <laughs> forgot. Um, is that what I think? We're opening up the center again. So, two things. First of all. We're opening up the center. Now, that might seem like a reckless thing to do for some. to some, and you might be ready to criticize us for, us for it, but we've thought, and we've talked, and we've discussed, and we feel that there is a way at this point to begin to allow some limited uh, attendance at our center again. Now, we may be wrong. And it may come back to blow up in our face, but faces, but we've discussed and we believe that the risks are, well, the benefits are worth the risk. And so it doesn't mean we're opening up fully. First of all, I think we can only opt for Canadians anyway. So we're allowing a limited number. So second of all is that it's a limited number uh, of Canadian meditators to come and practice. And our number is two. We're going to allow two people at a time to start. And we'll be contacting those people who have already signed up, and we're going to be a little selective of who we choose. Um, But it will be two. And the second thing is that, and, and so you can start to potentially start to sign up for intensive courses at our center. The second thing is so that link there is only for the at home course. If you want to sign up for the intensive course, you have to go to our main website, sirimangala.org. The second thing is that we're looking for a steward, someone to help support the meditate, the practice at our center. And that would have to be someone who's already done at least a foundation course at our center, preferably also an advanced course which would be at like a month of total. Having done that at our center if you're interested in being a steward or if you want to come and do that first and then continue on as a steward. Mainly involves cooking and shopping. You know, there's some cleaning you could do, but we really expect all meditators to do their own cleaning and to help with cleaning the house. So that's not the biggest that's not a big issue for the steward. Most is just to do cooking for the meditators and shopping for food have to do a little bit of financing with the board of directors but uh, if anyone's interested in doing that coming to stay here please contact the organization as well, you can join our discord which the link should be on the website discord is a chat app, chat server that allows us to set up chat uh, channels where people can talk about different topics and we can organize volunteers and so on it's actually for gamers, suppose it's supposed to be, but we're using it, and a lot of people do use it for other things. So we're using it for our organization. It's a really good organizational tool. But that's all for today, then. Thank you all, and sorry we didn't get to all the questions. But it may very well be that this will happen again. The next scheduled time is Wednesday at 8 p.m. our time. Eastern Daylight Savings Time. Saad, wish you all peace, happiness, and freedom from suffering. Thank you.